Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. Well, one of the greatest fears, one of the greatest fears for a Jew during the first century, if you look back and you look to see what some of the, what what were people afraid of at this time? Wars, kingdoms, this and that. But one of the greatest fears during the first century for a Jew was to develop a skin disease. That sounds a little different, a little odd, a skin disease? Oh, yes. It was a great fear to develop a skin, especially a contagious one. You see, without modern medicine that we have today, without any cures or anything at all, if a person, a Jewish person in the first century was to show any signs of a contagious skin disease, there was only one solution, just one. Total separation from their family and their community. That was it. You were now banned for being in the presence of everybody else. In today's term, we've kind of prettied it up a little bit on how we describe this, but we call it being quarantined. Now, those with skin diseases had a designated area, actually right outside the city, not even in the city. They had a designated area outside of the city where they could call home, and they can live and survive, you guessed it, with other people who had similar skin diseases. So they could hang out with each other all day long, but not with the common community. And no matter what you did in your previous life, no matter if you were a physician or uh, uh, fill in the blank, no matter what you did, it didn't matter anymore. The only thing that you were allowed to do from this moment on was to beg. This was it. You were on the outside of society. And if you were caught, oh man, if you were caught wandering from your designated area, from the little section they said, this is yours, the community will call you out. They would make it known that you are not in the right place. They would shame you for coming into the general public. There was absolutely no grace for those who had skin diseases. The bottom line was, you had a disease that was unforgiving. So were the people. Now some with the disease would actually wish that they were dead. Not just because of the physical torment or maybe the itching or whatever it is, but some of the mental things too. They just wish, why? Why me? Why do I have to be in this position? Live outside this and can't see my family? Can't be in total seclusion? Why? Why am I still alive? I'm an outcast, alone. And day after day, as I've read through this story and story of well, they were called lepers, those with skin diseases. Day after day, while the disease is eating at your body, it's eating at their soul as well. Never felt so alone, by yourself, separated. 
That is, until he showed up. Father, we just pray now that as we go through the scripture, we look through your word, Lord, to, to let your understanding fall on us. That when we walk away from here, that we know clearly what you want us to hear. Father, I pray that as I'm the guy up here speaking, the one that's, that's preaching, Lord, hide me behind your cross. Let the words that I say be only the truth of the gospel. If I say anything that is not true, then correct me in my tracks. On the spot here in this moment. That, Father, only your word, your love, your compassion, your grace, your understanding only be preached from this place. So, Lord, our prayer is this. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, we pick up today in our story, if you looked at the, in the book of Luke uh, 17, we're, we're following Jesus around. In fact, we're kind of catching a mid-storyline uh, here in this particular scripture. You see, if you just read about a chapter or two behind, he had just finished having a very, what I would call, lengthy and lively dinner discussion. Uh, in fact, he was having dinner not only with his disciples, he had dinner with a few Pharisees. Mm, that sounds exciting. And he had a few uh, dinner with some townspeople, those who were kind of just interested on who this Jesus guy was. And over dinner, Jesus covered topics like, you know, the simple stuff, pride, sin, faith, the Sabbath. He spoke about the Sabbath and how to keep it holy. And then he spoke on God's view on the law, the law that they, the Pharisees especially, have so much love for. Now, after this dinner was done, it was time for Jesus to move on to the next city. He wasn't meant to stay here planted in this place. So after talking with his disciples, he decided that he was going to go on to Jerusalem. Now, based on verse 11, when I was looking through this, it appears that Jesus was traveling from the north side of Israel down to Jerusalem, the south side of Israel. Now, instead, what you would have done if you want to make it quick and easy Instead of going through Samaria, which was kind of in the middle between the north side of Israel and the south side of Israel, instead of traveling through Samaria, like he did when meeting the woman at the well, he traveled the common path followed by most Jews. This would be following the border of Israel and Samaria. It was much longer, considerably longer, to go this way than just to walk straight through Samaria and get down to Jerusalem. Why did he do this? Why did he take the long way? Why did he add the extra steps? We weren't even counting steps then. You know, why go the extra path? Well, the, the Samaritans and the Jews had disagreements in theology. That's what it boiled down to, is that in this area, they believed differently. And oftentimes, that when a Jew and a Samaritan were together, it turned into violence over their disagreement on belief. And Jesus, on this day, he had other plans, and that wasn't one of them. So he traveled the border. And while traveling this border, if you will, between Samaria and Israel, he stops in a very small village, one that's not even given a name, quite frankly, and we don't know why. We don't know why he stopped in this village. 
There's no written reason why. It doesn't seem to be a tourist destination of any kind or a place where even travelers to commonly stop along their way. I mean, it could be that he was tired. Maybe he was hungry, looking for a place to stay for the night, perhaps. We don't know. Or, or it could be because of what the next verse says. See, maybe the next verse, maybe this was the reason he took the long way after all. The scripture says, as he was going into the village, ten men who had leprosy met him on the outside. As he was going into the village, he's not in there yet. They're on the outside. And as he's going into the village, it says, ten men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at their distance. They know the rules. They're not messing this up. They know what they have to do. They stood their distance, and they all together cried in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Have pity on us. Now here, right now in Scripture, we have ten men who have been outcasted. They've been quarantined from society separated from everything. Yet, even these men, in their isolation, had heard of Jesus of Nazareth. They have heard that this man can bring healing. They heard that he can reunite them with their families, back with society once again. But unlike the regular crowds, unlike those who are waiting on the inside of the village, who get to touch him and follow him and eat with him. These men have to keep their distance. They have to keep away from him. Uncertain if their story would be heard, they did the one thing that they're very good at. They begged. They begged, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Have pity on us. And regardless of the number in the crowd that day, that maybe, maybe, word got around a little bit that Jesus was coming. Is this him? Is this the man from Nazareth? And usually when that took place, the crowds would gather. They would start to formulate to see, is this man really who they, they say he is? But we know on this day in Scripture, that regardless of the number in the crowd that day, regardless if his own disciples even try to keep Jesus away from them to protect him, to protect their, their rabbi. Regardless of whatever was taking place in this scene, going into the village, Jesus heard their cry. He heard them. And he had compassion. He didn't walk by. He didn't say, you're, you're lost. There's nothing I could do anymore. Society says you don't belong there. No. He heard them. These men, these ten men, saw Jesus do what no other person would do. No, it wasn't some magical healing from a distance. You're healed now. You're good. Go on. No, it wasn't anything like that. Oh, no. He did something that nobody else would do. They would, they were just, they would hope that they can get a, a healing in the distance. Please, just whatever you could do, heal us from there. We don't care. 
No, Jesus walked to them, closing the gap of distance between them. Don't come any closer. Don't come any closer. (laughs) No, no, no. Come here. He went to them. And he said, go show yourselves to the priest. Go. Go show yourselves to the priest. Now I want you to notice here in the scripture that he did not say, you are healed. He didn't say, listen, I heard you. I have compassion on you. You're healed. Now go be free. That's not what happened. He went over to them, closing the gap getting close to them and said, go show yourselves to the priest. Now he said this in accordance to the law of Moses. If we did a little bit of homework and we flipped the pages back just a little bit, we would see why Jesus chose these words at this time. That if any man, according to the book of Leviticus, that if any man had been healed from a skin disease, He had to be inspected by a priest to be allowed back into society. It could not just be the word of Jesus. That by the own law, it was you had to be inspected by the priest to give the all clear to come back home. So he didn't say you're healed. He said, go see the priest. Go see the priest. But we still have a problem. We still have this. Jesus didn't heal him. He didn't say you're healed. Now go see the priest. He just said, see the priest. He told them to go. Why? He told him to go as is, just like you are right now. Go. Why not heal them there first? You're healed. Then go. You see, if they show up as is, the priest will just send them right back out to the outcast society. Nice try. Uh, I saw you last week here, Joe. Uh, come on. You know, you come back and come back when you're really healed. And when I was looking through the scripture, the answer I believe is what took place in the next sentence. The scripture says that they were told to go to the priest, and then they did. They went, as is, still still unclean in their eyes. And the scripture says that that on their journey, while they were walking to the priest, their body was being healed. It was being healed. All the things were were disappearing. It was gone. The closer they got to the priest, the more healed they were. Now, why does this matter? Why does this order matter? Because none of them knew that that was going to happen. Not one knew that the journey to the priest was where the healing was going to be found. All they were told was to go see the priest's There was no amazing healing that took place in a large crowd that day where they got to watch their wounds disappear and go sing and dance to the priest and say, look here, he is the Messiah. That Jesus wasn't doing this so he could show everyone he was the Messiah. He was just here saying, go see the priest. They were just simply told to do that. And it would be easy, I'm going to tell you now, that it would be easy for these men like me to be told something like that and to immediately, at least within your head, say, well... This doesn't seem like the Jesus we've been hearing about. That seems pretty simple, just to go see the priest. That's all you got for me in there? They've already been to the priest, Jesus. I've already done that. They're just 
they're not going to, they're just going to send me back. We've been down this road. But now looking after into this, after uh, looking into this scripture, I have determined that the point of this entire thing here in 11, chapter 11, or 17, with the verse 11 on, that they determined that the point of this scripture is about more than just the healing. It's not a scripture about healing. That's not what it is. This is a lesson of faith, not power. This here is a lesson of faith, not power. Jesus could have just said, listen, guys, you're healed. Let's get this shot. I got to get in the village. They could display his power any way he wants. But it wasn't the point. This was a lesson of faith. Go to the priest as is. Go. Okay, let's go. It's a lesson of faith, not power. And these men, I'm going to say, that these men could have very easily ignored his command. Ignored his suggestion, even. Well, actually... How about you guys go report how that, you know, the rest of us will follow you, all right? There's 10 of us. What's wrong with one going and scoping this thing out? They could have come up with some other master plan. They could have just ignored it and just sat down. But it says that all 10 went. Every step, every step that they took to the priest, their skin cleared up, their body was healed. And by the time they got to the synagogue, by the time they were in before the priest, their bodies would have been completely restored, and the priest, without hesitation, would have inspected them and then released them back into the community. You are healed by the, by the law of Moses. You're now free. And they would be gone. Now, it would be one thing if the story actually stopped there, that that was the end of the story. But for, but for some reason, the Scripture records one final interaction that wants to make point here. He write, they write, the author writes this down. It says, the scripture says, that one of them, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, when he recognized that he doesn't have it anymore, came back. He came back, came back to the awful place where he's been living in misery. He came back, praising God in a loud voice. You've healed me. You have healed me. And then he saw Jesus, and he threw himself on the, his feet on the ground before him. And he started to thank Jesus for what he did. Thank you. Thank you. You've healed me. You have healed me. Now, the author of this book, Luke, felt that it was necessary at this point in time to mention that the one that came back was a Samaritan. A Samaritan. Not even a Jew. It was a Samaritan. That out of the ten, only one came back. And after reading this and rereading this and studying this and looking at this, I find it interesting that the Samaritan man came back to Jesus before he saw the priest. Not after. When you read the scripture, it says that when he saw he was healed on the journey, he turned around and went back. He didn't go to the priest. He didn't finish the journey. 
He saw he was healed, and he turned around and went back to Jesus. What made him go back? What made him turn around? The rest of them were still going to the priest. They were doing what Jesus said. Jesus said, go to the priest. They were. But what made this man come and turn around in the journey, in the process, to go back to Jesus? Maybe he was just a grateful guy. Maybe that's just who he is. Maybe he put the dots together on this trip and he realized who had healed him. Or maybe, maybe he remembered on that journey when he was a little boy in school, Psalm 116, while he was walking with the rest of the men. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary, and I was brought low, and he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Psalm 116. Maybe here, this was on his mind, on his walk when he was determined that freedom and praise go together. Freedom and praise go together. That when you and I receive freedom from whatever it is, there is praise that needs to be singing from our lips and from our hearts. And when the healed man returned to Jesus, When this Samaritan healed man returned to Jesus, he came alone. No, no longer because he was unclean. He wasn't alone because he was keeping his distance. No, no, no. Because now he's free. And Jesus asked this man by himself, were the rest of them not healed? Were not all ten of you healed? Where are the other nine? 
Has no one returned to give praise to God except you, a foreigner? Now, don't take offense to Jesus' response here. He's, he's, he wasn't saying, oh, it's, a, it's only you, the Samaritan. You're the one that came back. No, 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 no. It was saying to his brother there, saying that my own people, the people who have my own blood that runs through them, did not return. And God's people didn't return. That his people were the first to forget. And he tells this man, the Samaritan man right here, he tells him, rise, rise up and go. Rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now look at that word, has made you well. Understand that when Jesus is telling him to get off his knees and stand up, he's not physically healing him. He already did that. He's not saying, stand up and now you're healed. He's already done that. Here he's saying, today, my brother, today, I gave you your body back and you have given me your heart. You are forgiven. This is a spiritual freedom that this man got. All of us, each of us, knows the feeling of having a physical burden. I think now more than ever, all of us know probably what it's like to be a leper. Maybe it wasn't a skin disease. Maybe it wasn't this sort of thing. But we all know what it's like to be separated from society. To be told to social distance, right? To don't come any closer. To stay apart. And yes, our generations got to even experience a highly contagious disease. All of us walk away with that one. And it appears, at least it can be at times, I'm going to say, it appears that within the last two years, we had the opportunity to see the worst in humanity. Now understand, we all struggle with fear. We all struggled with isolation. And not just the physical effects of this, but the mental ones that go with it. To be afraid to go outside of your house. To be afraid of what the future for your children looks like. To be afraid of these things. And Captain really hasn't talked a lot about this in the last several years, but I'm telling you is that as we sit here on this day and we reflect back, seeing the effects of, of 2020, I think there's going to be a telling of what that looks like for years to come. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what I've also seen. I've seen, I've witnessed people crying out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. How have we lost our way? People searching for him, receiving healing. I've seen it. Reconciliation. I've seen it. Redemption and salvation have been received in this building since I've been here. He can do it. He can do it. Many of us have battled disease, COVID, all these things. 
but I'm going to tell you that we must, when we reflect back to 2020, when we look at the calendar, maybe we've just marked out that year and we're not reflecting back, but when we look back to 2020, look back with a thankful heart, a heart of praise, a heart of thanksgiving to the Lord. Church, I'm going to tell you today that before we can move forward, before we can move past 2020 and whatever that is, we must, we must be like the leper that turned around and gave praise to Jesus. We have to do it. It'd be easy for us, even individually and personally, to say that I conquered this thing. We've made it. We pushed through. But as the head of your house, be on your knees. Thank you, Lord, for your provision. Thank you, Lord, for your love, your guidance, your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. And this morning, I'm going to say, is a great opportunity to do just that if you haven't already. And so I'm going to ask, what do you need to give praise to God for? What's on your mind? What's on your lips right now? What has he done for you just in the last 18 months? And that's going to be a different answer for everybody. Some of us have been fortunate. No one in our family has, has, has dealt with COVID. Others, not so much. We've been there. We've seen it. What is on your lips? See, Jesus didn't walk by the lepers and go into the village. He stopped. He stopped. He'll do the same for you. What can you be thankful for for him? Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.